Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Now I've seen some people shapeshift, uh, drinking a little bit too much alcohol. <laughs> Their personalities have changed. Yes. That's not what you're talking about, right? Not exactly, no. <laughs> Give me your definition of a shapeshifter. Right. So what I'm talking about when I talk about a shapeshifter, I'm talking about uh, a person who has the ability to actually transform themselves into something else, uh, generally an animal of some kind. Something uh, physical. Something physical, right. It could be an animal. It could be another person. It could actually be an inanimate object, um, and we'll, we'll get into that I'm sure later on, but as we talk about different cultures and their shapeshifter characters, you know, some are capable of turning into a, a tree, you know, or, or whatever it might be. And so when I say transformation, I'm talking about a physical transformation, but I'm also talking about transformations sort of similar to that drunk that you're mentioning in which you don't see anything physical on the outside. You know, uh, the person doesn't start sprouting fangs or claws or, you know, anything along those lines, but at the same time fully believes that they have transformed into something other than human and act out in that way. Um, so it's very interesting. Uh, and, and I think when people think of shapeshifters, they think really of primarily vampires and werewolves. All the, You think of all the old vampire movies where Bela Lugosi or, or anybody, you know, playing the part turns into a bat. You know, the vampire turns exactly. into a bat and flies out the window. Um, all the werewolf movies, um, American Werewolf in London, or any of the old Lon Chaney movies, you know, some poor guy is out there and he's cursed and suddenly he's sprouting hair and fangs and he's howling at the moon, you know. So we're, we're talking about the, those are the stereotypes. Um, but the shapeshifter character is much broader, and it's it's much more universal than just that. Do you remember the cartoon character Tom Terrific? I do. <laughs> yeah. Somebody remembers him. I forgot all about him. Though. He, wow. He was a shapeshifter. Yes, he was. He would have this little funny upside-down funnel uh, as a hat. On his head, yes. Upside-down. And he would shift into anything. Like you said, he could be a tree. And whatever he shifted into, his little face was on it. Right. So you knew he was that. That's right. You know, he was a tree. He could be a door. He could be a shoe. He could be anything. Mm-hmm. But but that was my very first experience in shape-shifting. Well, I, but it was funny and cute. Yeah, it was. It was. And I have to say I had forgotten all about that. But, but thanks for bringing that back. <laughs> but, you know, even today, there's um, I have I have 11 grandchildren and a couple of Good for are, you. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> uh, they're the best. Little toddlers, you know, uh, like three and four. And, and they're watching uh, a cartoon called Morphal, M-O-R-P-H-L. And if you think of the, you know, sort of morphology, morphological, that name Morphal comes from that. And this is a little, it's a little, um, I don't know how to describe it. He's a little red blob with a nice little face on him, a cute little guy. And he changes throughout the whole cartoon into everything, too, you know. But, again, his face is always on it, just like, um, you know, Tom Terrific there. So you know that he's a shapeshifter. But it's still out. It's a, you know, it's a, car, it's a brand new cartoon that my, my grandkids are watching. So that, I think, speaks to the universality and also the, um, the interest that we have in shapeshifters, the fact that even little children are watching it without knowing necessarily that sure. they're watching a shapeshifter. There must be some kind of reality behind these shape-shifting stories that are worldwide. 
something must have happened a long time ago. Right. I think I think if you look at sort of the origins of where we get the idea of the shapeshifter, it goes back to prehistoric times. It, it, as far as as soon as man was you know upright and walking, I think they were thinking about other entities and and how they can transform into such. It, we're animals. We're part of the animal world, although we like to think that we're we're better. But you know the reality is we're animals like the chimps and the monkey and everybody else. We're we're animals, and so when you look back on the early prehistoric societies, and you look at some of the cave paintings in a place like, um, there's, a, there's a cave in France called uh, Trois-Frères, Three Brothers, and there's this very interesting painting, which actually is in my book, Shapeshifters, and it clearly shows what looks like a deer, but it's standing upright on two legs, and the front four legs look, the hands are uh, more articulated. They're not really paws. They're sort of more like hands. And if you look at the face of this thing that's got antlers, the face clearly has a human face to it. And so what archaeologists have speculated on is that this was a depiction of some shamanic ritual in which a shaman you know, mimics the idea of a deer. Uh, and that the hunters who were gathered around him would do the same thing. They would go through some ritual dances and, and things like that and do drawings uh, prior to the hunt so that they would take on the persona of that animal at their hunting, which would enable them, obviously, to just you know integrate themselves with the herd. And they're a deer just like everybody else, mm-hmm. and suddenly they kill at deer. So, so it goes way back to that. Um, but I also think there's something innate in the idea of the shapeshifter in all of us. Um, you know, who among us hasn't had some desire to be taller, stronger, faster, uh, more intelligent, sexier, whatever? Or have that Walter Mitty in us, right? There you go. I yeah. mean, Walter Mitty is a prime example of a shapeshifter, in a sense. I mean, mm-hmm. he's somebody who was, you know, just a very meek little guy, and all of a sudden he's a superhero in these little adventures that he has, right? So I, so I think there's that, and especially if you're coming maybe from a community where you are marginalized or perhaps um, you're suffering from you know, racism or bigotry or something, you, you want something bigger and better than yourself. You'd like to get out of that, but there's no way to really do that. And so it becomes um, sort of virtual. It becomes almost a fantasy to, to indulge in that idea of a shapeshifter. We're with John Kachuba. His latest book is called Shapeshifters, A History. John, generally, though, when you hear about shapeshifting, it is kind of evil, or the creature's kind of evil, isn't it? It, For the most part, yeah. And again, we're looking at the stereotype, you know, the werewolves and the vampires. But you look at, um, if we go into some of these cultures... Jekyll and Hyde, he was a shapeshifter. Right, exactly. And and so, and, and the whole idea behind that which was to sort of experience that darker side that we all have. As I said, we're animals, right? The only thing that keeps us in control is the fact that we have some intelligence and we enact laws and moral codes and all that. But the minute we deviate from that, we've sort of gone to the dark side, to the animal nature. And and there's some, you know, there's <laughs> that's kind of a happy place, too, in a way, if you think about, hey, I don't have to, I'm not restricted by any religious morals or by any civil laws. I can do whatever I want. I mean, think of that freedom. It's appealing to some people, uh, sometimes in an evil way. And that's exactly Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, you know, this good doctor wants to experience the wild side, and he does. And as Mr. Jekyll, he becomes 
murderer at one point, you know, a, a, a sociopath and everything else, and it ends up killing him. Um, so there, there's that. And, and, yeah, there is that evil tendency, but I've looked at cultures all around the world to write this book from prehistoric times on, and it's not always evil. Uh, you know, frequently the shapeshifter is more a trickster, um, you know, pulling pranks on people and that kind of thing. But they're also sometimes guardians, and they serve a, they serve a purpose. Um, they serve a, sort of an instructive purpose, uh, in, in a sense. There are shapeshifters that are frequently in water, and, you know, selkies and leshy. I mean, there's, there's names for creatures all around the world, but they all have sort of these water creatures that will, uh, frequently they're women, and they're seductive, and frequently hmm. they will grab a guy <laughs> and seduce him and pull him into the... And, uh, and drown him. And drown him. Yeah. So there's evil, right? go. Was... but at the same time, it's a lesson. There's a moral lesson there, which is that, you know, guys, you know, you, you stick with your wife, you know, you don't go around looking for watery women, you know. <laughs> <laughs> watery women will get you in trouble. Exactly. There was that movie in 1963 with Jerry Lewis called The Nutty Professor. Oh, yeah. He took a potion and shapeshifted. He went from this nutty professor to a guy named Buddy Love, who was suave and debonair and everything else. That's a perfect example of shapeshifting. It is. It is. And it's exactly part of what I'm saying is that the, the shapeshifter character appeals to some of us because we can be much better than, than we are. It, it's unfortunate because I think it says something about our human nature to mm-hmm. not satisfied with who we are. <laughs> but, but that happens. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's a great example because that is part of the appeal of the shapeshifters. Maybe you have superpowers or if nothing else, you know, you're just some, you're something other than yourself. You're something better. Um, and we all, you know, we all do that in some sense, different situations where we realize we have to sort of step out of the role that we normally have. Uh, we're giving a speech someplace, um, you know, so now suddenly we have to be on stage. Uh, we have to be a presence. And normally we're very um, introverted and would rather sit in a corner and just not be with people. So we all have that ability at times to, I don't want to say, shapeshift in that way, but to, to be to push ourselves, to be something beyond what we normally are. Now, what do you mean by external and internal shapeshifters? Right. So what I was talking about in the book, um, it's, it's a broad classification, but when you think of the external shapeshifter, we're talking again about sort of the ones that you can physically see change. You know, these are the vampires, these are the werewolves, these are um, skinwalkers, they're, whatever they are, they're people that suddenly you're looking at something and you're going, uh, okay, that, that is no longer human. I don't mm-hmm. know what that is. Right. No longer human. So you see the external thing. Uh, the internal shapeshifter is more, is more a psychological state. Uh, in, in, the, in, the book, in the book, I have a few examples, but I have a couple of examples from some of the Bushmen of the Kalahari in Africa, the Kalahari Desert. And there's two there's uh, two different guys that I uh, I didn't interview but I, I picked it up from another book that talk about what how they shapeshift they're shamans and they talk about changing into lions 
one one of them says, well, not only lions, but I can change into pretty much anything, you know, gazelles, deer, whatever I want. Uh, but they talk about going through these changes. They they go into trance. They they dance. Um, there may be some hallucinogenic drugs involved. That's pretty typical mm-hmm. in instances. But in any case, they talk about, yeah, I can see, you know, claws appearing. And I can see my fingernails elongating. I can feel my teeth elongating. I, I can sense the hair on the spine, my spine rising up, you know. While they're saying that, anybody viewing them is not seeing this, but they're feeling that. They're feeling this change. And then they will enact out what it means to be that animal, like a lion. I mean, they'll have... And, and the amazing thing is that sometimes they actually physically do have, like, extraordinary strength or something. Um, but more often than not, it's an internal... It's an internal belief. It's a psychological state more than anything. Uh, and there's there's diseases like that, too, like lycanthropy. That's where, primarily for werewolves, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, people feel that they're wolves. They actually they actually go around on all fours, and they growl at people, and they snap at them. And I mean, it's a rare case. It's a rare thing, but it, it's happened, and there's been documented cases uh, you know, throughout the world. And, and if we get into a little bit later, I have some interesting, interesting ones there, too. But uh, again... If you're looking at this person, you're thinking this person's acting crazy, but you're not seeing a wolf. You're seeing a man on all fours. Uh, uh, acting like a wolf. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Are they mentally, uh, you know, unstable? Well, I think, yeah. I, I, most of the studies will, will say that, yes, they were mentally unstable. In fact, there's a, going way back to the 7th century, there was a Byzantine physician uh, whose name escapes me at this point, but he actually did some research on this, and he came to the conclusion back in the seventh century that these people were um, suffering from some mental condition that they were not truly turning into wolves. Uh, and yet, in the seventeenth and sixteenth century, we had people being executed for that kind of behavior and executed on the grounds of werewolfery, <laughs> turning into a werewolf. Um, even though you look at it and say, well, I don't see he's a werewolf. Say, well, he hasn't shifted yet, but he will later. You know, So there was that kind of belief as well. Have they hurt people in this state? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they have, haven't they? Yeah, yeah there's, there's examples um, from France uh, that are really uh, pretty horrific. And they go back to mostly, uh, again, oddly around... Around the 17th century, it seems like that's where they were pretty big. But there's there's cases where uh, people have, well, they've taken on the appearance to the to the naked eye of of acting like a wolf, but again, not not visibly doing it. Yet they will murder people. There's been several cases in France where there was. Um, People that have actually gone on and, and killed several people at a time, especially like children and women, and actually have taken them apart with their hands, as, and, and then later on saying that I had claws when you didn't have claws, uh, just chewing on them, actually eating and devouring people. Uh, and these are just normal human, well, I'll back up on the word normal. Yeah, so <laughs> what is normal these days? Right? Yeah, I mean, these are human beings who who fully believe that they were wolves and that, you know, they had turned into a werewolf and, and this is what they had done. So there's a, there's a lot of cases like that. And it's, it's amazing that, as I said, they all seem to come from uh, 17th or 16th century uh, France. And they're really 
they're just they're awful cases when you read them because they're just so they're just so horrific what what people have done. Would you say, John, that a serial killer could be a shapeshifter? Now that's an interesting question. I had another I had that question brought up in another interview that I did once before, and I hadn't really given that much thought. But I but I do think that yes, I think this would be an example again of that internal shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. When I think of somebody like um, Ted Bundy, for instance. Because they can act normal. Right. And then all of a sudden there's something that happens and they shift. Right. And that's part of the definition of a sociopath, too, is that for all practical purposes they seem they seem okay, they seem right. nice people, and yet they'll turn and they do not like society, they do not like people, they will kill people. And Ted Bundy had that reputation. You know, he was this clean-cut, college-looking guy, good-looking guy, very friendly, very outgoing, and yet he was, you know, a horrible murderer. Um well, how about the, uh, was it the BTK killer or somebody like that, who his family didn't even know he was a serial killer? Right. I mean, he was right. able to change at whim. Right. Yeah, and that's, to me, that's more scary than, you know, a werewolf. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.